Let's do it. G'day guys, you are here with Jacob Skeppis from JPS and this is episode 5 of our podcast with Mr. Jeff Alberts of 3DMJ. Welcome Jeff. Thank you, thanks for having me, appreciate it. So Jeff is one of the natural bodybuilders who I look up to who has an abundance of experience. He's been in the gym pumping iron since 1986, if I recall correctly. His first comp was in 1993, just two years after I was born. And he's won two pro cards in the IFPA and the WMBF and a fourth place at the Worlds in 2014, along with 16 titles, Jeff. Something like that. Something like that. You lose count. count. (laughs) And he's one of the most accomplished natural bodybuilders. We call him the Godfather because he's shared his journey with us as, you know, students of the game over many years and has been an inspiration of mine. And now you've worked with over 300 athletes, Jeff. So, welcome. Thank you. That was quite the introduction, and it's crazy to think that I think I've been training longer than you've been on planet Earth. Mm. Something to the effect. Yeah. Well, I'm 25, that's... and you've been living okay, for yeah, so... 30 plus years. <laughs> yeah, so that's a little crazy. <laughs> and that's phenomenal. And I think that's one of the main reasons why you are so valuable to 3DMJ and the natural bodybuilding community because you know, we talk about not being able to give what we don't have as coaches and you've experienced it all. Do you agree? A lot, yeah. Yeah, a lot. I think um, I disagree with you in a sense that now as a little bit older athlete, I'm running into some things that are challenging me more than I've ever experienced in the past. So I'm still continuing to learn as I go, which definitely can help you know, other athletes that I work with. So, but sure. yeah, I've seen quite a bit over the years. And one of the first questions I wanted to ask you, Jeff, is a lot of young bodybuilders get in, fall into the sport um, because they focus on the outcomes and they focus on the physical development, the changes that they see in the mirror um, in their body composition. And then they say, hey, I want to do a comp. And they focus on the result. You know, it's all about winning. It's about getting a place, like they're not getting on stage for the first time to be their best and bring their best package per se. They want to win. How do you go about coaching somebody to focus on the process and not the outcome? Yeah, that's that's a big one because you can easily like go through the whole process without really enjoying it if you're if you're just solely focused on that end goal. Uh, especially if the outcome is not uh, what you were hoping for. Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, try to keep athletes in the in the present moment. You know, just like okay, let's focus just one day at a time, execute the game plan, and at the same time, you know, at the end of the day, if if you've done a good job, pat yourself on the back and enjoy what you accomplished that day because it's so easy, like you said, to just get so focused on the end goal that. Um, you know, stress levels, anxieties, insecurities, they can all play a huge role. Um, you know, not just with the enjoyment, but with your progress as well. If you're, if you're in a heightened state of stress, then your body's probably not going to be progressing maybe the way you would like, um, just because the stress levels are pretty damn high. Yeah. And I'm personally, I've experienced that myself, like going through entire prep where it was all about the trophy or, you know, all about being so peeled and, and, you know, whatnot that, you know, in hindsight, I, I look back on, man, I didn't enjoy that at all, you know. Yeah. So I've, I've lived it and, and breathed it. So I try to really instill in my athletes that, you know, let's just focus on the process more so than the end goal because that's where the fun is at, you know, because it's, you know, one day out of the whole prep where, yeah. you know, you're going to be judged on everything. And, and so, yeah, it's like, you know, it's, it's just a very small percentage of the process when you think about it. So. Mm-hmm. Regardless of where, like personally as an athlete, I place, as long as I'm bringing my best, I mean, that's all that matters. And so I try to treat each show like a, the celebration. Yeah. Um, and when I'm out on stage, it's like, yeah, you want to try to win. But at the same time, I'm like, I'm really just going to 
just have as much fun as possible because I work pretty damn hard for weeks, months, and in my case, years to get to that yeah. point. That's a great mindset to have towards competing and I think it's more common in people who have been in the game a little bit longer than younger athletes. And what are some of the things that you fall in love with when you're doing a contest prep? I think it's just the, you know, the, the, the changes that you see, you know, the, the daily changes, whether it's, uh, you know, you're in the gym and you're performing a little bit better or, you know, you wake up the next morning and you're like, whoa, whoa, I didn't see that vein yesterday or things like that. Those are, those are, uh, those are motivating. So just seeing the, the gradual, you know, changes in your physique is, is motivating. Um, of course, early on in a prep, you tend to not see as much change early, but as you get to the later stages, like you can see yeah. just about daily changes yeah. and that gets pretty exciting. Um, but then like once it's over, like when you reflect on everything, you, you, you tend to realize like, okay, wow, I actually changed the way I look pretty drastically. It's pretty amazing what the human body can do. But you start really like looking inwards and going, wow, I actually changed as a person too. Yeah. Like you really, you like, wow, I can actually do something this extreme. So yep. you start, you start realizing you could apply that into other areas of your life. Um, so like a prep, like I go through a prep each time. It's like, okay, I take, take what I learned from that. And I apply it to like how I structure my family and yep. things like that. And so yeah, it's just, it's a cool process and it's more, more than just like that, that clay or plastic trophy at the end. Yeah. For sure. And you've actually tied into my next question, which was the lessons bodybuilding teaches you outside of the physical changes in training and nutrition. What would some of those lessons be? I think a lot is just like you learn a lot of discipline. You learn structure. You learn follow through. You learn all these types of things and traits that I've had athletes, you know, that come back after a prep, you know, whether it's two weeks, a month, six months, a year later and say, hey, you know, I'm. I got my degree in this or that, yeah. started a family, this or that. And so it's like they learn a lot going through that process and it, it changes you. Yeah, it's, for sure. I mean, just depends on the person, like it could change in, in different ways, but I think just it teaches you a lot about uh, yourself. Yeah. And those skills are definitely transferable. I've seen it in my life. Bodybuilding, you know, taught me to be dedicated and disciplined and then I've carried that over into other areas of my life such as, you know, my family, my business and everything else. And with bodybuilding and getting on stage, we obviously always want to be measuring our progress and there are some measures that are a lot better than others such as, um, you know, DEXA scans and all the rest of it. What are the measures that you use that are practical for all bodybuilders to use? Because let's face it, a DEXA scan is extremely expensive and sometimes may not be as accurate as what we'd like it to be. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely not a numbers guy. Yeah. Like, I don't care what my body fat percentage is. Yeah. I don't care what a DEXA can says. Yeah. Um, like, when you're on stage, you know, it's not like the judges are going to pull out their their calipers and measure yeah. your body fat or they're not going to say, let's get the best scan machine out and run this person through. Yeah. They're just going to look at you and compare you to everybody else. And you know, whoever has the best, you know, package yeah. that's going to end up, you know, in the winner's circle. So a lot often, you know, when we get those, those athletes that, you know, they apply for, for our coaching and they'll say, Hey, you know, this is my body fat percentage. This is, you know, this, I had a DEXA scan. Do you want that? And this, I'm like, I don't really need it, man. Just gave yeah. me some pictures. Yeah. Let me see what your body weight is and, you know, answer these questions and I'll get a good yeah. assessment that way yeah. as far as what direction you need to go in. Because let's face it, you could be 6% body fat but still look in the mirror and go, I don't like the way I look. Mm. You know, maybe you're not, you don't have enough muscle. You look stringy, flat. You're like, yeah. you might yeah. be 6% body fat but if you're not happy with the way you look, it doesn't really matter. So, yeah. so to me, it's... I don't really I don't really use numbers to quantify mm. too much. Um, when it comes to progress, yeah, we want to see you know bigger numbers in the gym and whatnot. But you know, often you know maybe you're you're bench pressing uh, you know 100 kilos for five or whatever this week, and maybe a month from now you're still doing it. But what if your form is like more rock solid? Yeah. Yep. How do you quantify that through numbers? You don't. Yeah. So it's that's the some of the things that I look for as far as my own progress and even yeah. with uh, individuals that I coach um, 
a good one was my wife. Like she started training about a year ago. Yep. Her bench press was like just the bar and it was just like all over the place. It was wobbly. But like a month later, the bar looked really pretty. Yeah. It was like super clean. So that's progress. Yeah. Um, so yeah, especially as you get older too, like when you go from contest to contest, you can't expect, you know, your scale weight to really, especially as a natural body, to creep up a lot. Yeah. Um, so you have to use a lot of the visuals. You know, what did you look like, you know, a year ago compared to now? Yeah. Um, like my 2011 season, I weighed 170 in pounds on stage. And then 2014, I was the same exact weight, but I was a little bit fuller, a little bit leaner. So, so the numbers aren't really, you know, halos, more of the pictures. Yeah. And that's something that I guess makes you different as one of the 3DMJ coaches because I know that Brad and Eric, they're very much numbers men although they look at the visuals and the you know qualitative data they they love their numbers and you're very um very much a qualitative coach and you know coach on what you see but do you think you know outside of 3DMJ and in general in bodybuilding with the whole evidence based movement that we've seen this big shift to you know people trying to be like librarians as opposed to lifters when it comes to coaching bodybuilders per se, like people getting too fixated on numbers versus what's actually going on, you know, to you as a lifter? I think it varies with the individual and their personalities. Because mm. I've worked with some athletes that are not numbers people, and I've worked with others that are really numbers focused. Yep. Um, and so I think... I would say, like, now in the era we're in, like, science plays a huge, huge role. But I, what I've really realized is that you can only use so much of it. And, yeah. you know, you basically take what you can get from it and apply it if it seems practical for an individual. Yeah. Um, and even for myself, when I look back over the years, I mean, I made a ton of mistakes. Yeah. Um, even in the last seven years is where, probably last seven or eight, is when I really got more into the science, you know, you know, meeting Eric and Alberto and all the rest of the guys. You know, I've been able to take some some stuff from science and apply it, but it's always like, for many people, even for myself, it's like context of what's going on in life, mm. you know, job, uh, what's going on with family, you know, yes, yeah. whatever, what can I make work on a daily basis, you yeah. know? And you know, the way I kind of program people with training is like you, know, you want to you want to try to throw as much science as you can into creating the training program. But often the questions I ask is like, oh, okay, what's your work schedule like? How many hours per week do you work? How many hours a day do you have devoted to training? Without it, you know, putting too much demand on on life stressors. Yeah. So it's like I want to program around people's life first versus the other way around. Because if you program the other way around, then Maybe they don't have two hours to train, and the program calls for two hours of training. It's like, yeah, yeah. And they're trying to rush through the workouts, and the, and the stress level gets high. Their quality of workouts go down. They're more susceptible to injuries. So that's for me. It's 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 priority. It's like, okay, let me program these protocols around what what this person's got going on. Yeah. And from there, it's like, okay, what kind of aches and pains and injuries do you have? You know. So I want to definitely program around those types of things as well. Yeah. That's so I think, yeah, I mean, but I think science, I think some people do get so caught up in it yeah. that they try to be so perfect or like quote unquote optimal that it becomes <laughs> not very optimal for yeah. a lot of the reasons that I just talked about. Yeah, that's what I've definitely noticed is the uh, sometimes contrasting difference between what's possible in reality versus what is optimal. Um, and... Often bodybuilders lose motivation um, in the off season, and when they don't have a competition, you know, in the next twelve months. From what I've seen, and I'm sure you've probably experienced the same thing coaching bodybuilders, is that their motivation does wander. You know, uh, life gets in the way for a lot of amateur bodybuilders, and they start, you know, getting caught up in other things in life, work, and you know, their bodybuilding takes a back seat. How do you stay so steadfast? Because, you know, I would dare say you're almost an outlier in the fact that there's not a lot of people who have, you know, consistently done bodybuilding only, you know, without deviating to powerlifting and other things like this. 
Yeah. How do you stay so steadfast and motivated when there isn't a competition in the very near future, Jeff? I would say that I'm not always motivated. Mm. I'm committed. I think that's what keeps me going. So I'm definitely committed. Like uh, my motivation in the off season, like, yeah, it's like I, I lose, you know, I just don't want to be like glued to my, my fitness pal 24 seven, yeah. you know, deep into off season. So I tend to venture off and my weight kind of climbs up a little bit. Um, and yeah, I get a little bit insecure about it. It's like, oh crap, here comes the summertime. I don't want to take my shirt off, you know, those types of things. Yeah. But I also know in the back of my mind through the experience that I know as long as I'm training, mm. that's what drives adaptation. So even though, let's say my body comp is not all that great in the off season, I'm a little yeah. bit chunky or whatever, I'm still training. Yeah. So I know that basically is taking care of improvements. And I also know from experience that, okay, if I, when it t- comes time to prep, I just know, okay, I need to start right around this time in order to make it to my show. So I don't get too caught up in, okay, my body fat percentage needs to be here during the off season, here, whatever, here. I say as a, as a younger athlete who's still learning mm. how to manage off seasons, yeah, don't be like me and let yourself stray off because you don't have the experience of knowing how to get it back yeah, yeah, yeah. together. Yeah. So yeah, it's pretty important that you have some type of structure and guidance mm-hmm. through the off season if you're you're younger or you're inexperienced. But the more experience you get, you get a lot more comfortable with the way you're looking. Let's say in the off season, the way, when you know when to actually start a prep and these types mm-hmm. of things. So for me, that's kind of how I manage it. So I don't get too like stressed out in, in, in my off season. Like I I love training, so I know if I'm training, yeah. I'm going to improve. Yeah. And even if I have like workouts where maybe I'm not, they're not all the greatest, it's still like it's better than nothing. Yeah, for sure. You know, you're still, you're, the muscles are still working. So it's not like yeah. your muscles are saying, oh, okay, that was, uh, you know, the same weight as last week or it's actually five kilos less. Okay, therefore I can't improve because yeah. the numbers on the bar say less. Yeah. yeah. So that's where my mindset, I don't care about numbers. I mean, obviously, if my numbers are going down, um, regularly, that's a red flag. Okay, there's something wrong. Okay, yeah. maybe I'm not eating enough. Maybe I'm not getting enough sleep, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah. So, no, that was that's great. kind of my mindset. And, and what also helps too is, is I'm not I'm not passionate about powerlifting. So yeah, <laughs> like getting as in I've, the singlet. As I've I'm heard. not a fan of singlet. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, it's one of those things where it's very hard to teach younger athletes the importance of the big picture as opposed to focusing on that one needle in the haystack and Mm -hmm. this is something that i've observed just from your social media content your video logs and all the rest of it is you're very in tune with yourself you're very self-aware and you're extremely good at self-reflection which obviously young people aren't as good as that as you know people who have been in the trenches for a longer period of time how, how much importance and emphasis do you place on that in terms of your ability to improve and progress as a bodybuilder? I think for me personally right now, I have to really rely on um, my experience of like what I've gone through because that's what kind of guides me moving forward. Like I can't just like, I mean, I've probably written like probably in the last month, two months, a program every week for myself. Yeah. But I Damn, can't so you do that too. Yeah, I'll I write do that a program all the time. It does my head in. <laughs> I'll go, okay, I'm going to, like, um, actually yesterday morning I got up, wrote a program. Okay, this is my program for the, I only wrote it for a week because I never know how What's I'm going to be feeling because of the, the nagging aches and pains I'm going through at the moment. So yeah. here's the program, but often I'll have to deviate because of, you know, uh, the shoulders bugging me or my hip. Yeah. Yeah. And now it's my piriformis is flared up. So, yeah. okay, there's no deadlifts and squats. Yeah. So, but I'm able to, you know, with all the tools I've learned over the years, I know how to like, make, like grab each tool, whatever tool I need at a given moment to keep me moving forward. Yeah. Um, so whether it's like, okay, I can't squat and deadlift, so maybe okay, I'm gonna do, you know, I'm relegated to just not that much equipment here at my house because I train at home. I'm like, okay, let me use the Smith machine. I'll turn it into a hack squat. That way, yeah. I'm not really hip hinging all that much it's more yeah, quads yeah, yeah. so I'm protecting that piriformis a bit more yeah. so things like that I keep training because I'm utilizing the experiences that I've gone through whereas someone obviously like I could have done that in my first year or two of training yeah I wouldn't know how to do that yeah 
So that's that's the huge difference is I think when you start out, like especially in the era of science, you're looking externally for a lot of your answers, which you probably should be because you don't have that experience level. It's like a pendulum. As you start training, you learn more, learn more and yeah. more about yourself. The pendulum starts to swing. Now you're relying more on your your past history to guide you with some science, but it's really the pendulum is swinging the other way. So maybe now for me, I'm looking at science maybe 10% of the time, yeah, whereas right. you know the other 90 is like, let me use what I've learned over the last 31 years. Yeah, that's a so brilliant, that's, that's a brilliant analogy to me. So I would say that. If I can go back in time, like if I was, because I, I was, you know, back in the day, I used to read, like, you know, I read studies. I didn't know what the, I didn't know how to decipher it, but I would read them thinking, yeah. okay, I'm going to learn more. Uh, so if I could go back in time, I would hire a coach who, who has that experience, who has that education level. Yeah. Um, but I would also be more secure with um, being okay with mistakes. Yeah. Being okay with, okay, you know what, I am going to make some mistakes. It's okay if I do because that's going to teach me like no other. And, you know, looking at hindsight, that's how I've gained a lot of the knowledge is like I've gone through a lot of the trial and there because I wasn't, I didn't have coaches early on. I was self-guided for, for the majority of the, my career. So it's like, yeah, all those mistakes I made is definitely helped me to become a better athlete now. Uh, I wish it would have back then, yeah. but now yeah. it is. And But now I could really use all that uh, that I've gone through to help other people avoid some of those mistakes that I made. Yeah. But I think, yeah, don't don't fear messing up. Like, if you have a bad contest prep, yeah, it sucks. Okay, <laughs> maybe you look terrible on stage or whatever. You don't place well, but, you know, you're going to you're gonna learn so much from that. Yeah. There's a positive to it. And hindsight's a wonderful thing, and you spoke about how you learned from your mistakes and that, you know, guided your further decision-making and ability to make the right call over time. And one of the things that I wanted to ask you today and I would like you to elaborate on is what are the, what's the broad definition of the calls that a coach has to make for their athletes and as a bodybuilder? And then how do you determine what's the internal dialogue for you making a call at a given moment in a given situation. Ooh, that's there's a lot of context that could be there. A yeah. lot of context, yeah. Yeah. Depends on the the yeah. Oh man, there's so many factors. Depends. <laughs> what on, are like those if factors? We're talking, a, if we're talking a contest prep. You know, let's see. Let me set up an example. Maybe just kind of help. Maybe you're you're contest prepping deep into a prep. Progress is stalled for about two or three weeks. Stagnant. Um, and the question is, okay, do you, do you, do you drop food? Do you, yeah. do you drop food and increase or decrease calories? Does that person need a diet break at that moment? You know, what are they going through? You know, why, first you have trouble with why is the stall there? Yeah. Um, so, you know, are they, are they number rule number one? Are they adhering? Yeah. You know, so, so you got to figure that out. Um, you know, then it's just, there's just so much context to that and, you got to understand, okay, how are they doing physically, you know, and also mentally, emotionally. So all that kind of goes into my head when I'm, like, deciding yeah. on what calls to make and then, okay, what's the timeline, you know, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, so I look at a lot of different variables in order to kind of make the right call. And sometimes, you know, you don't make the right call. Sometimes yeah. it's like, well, shit, that was, a, that was not the right call. But that's how you learn, again, as – um, as a coach as well, like you're going to make mistakes. And I think often, you know, when you have an athlete, they look at you as like, you should know everything. You're the yeah. coach, right? But, <laughs> you know, we're human and, yeah. you know, we're, we're not going to be perfect all the time. But, you know, you t when you do make a mistake and you say, you know what, shit, I made sorry, made a mistake, that was on me. Yeah. Um, and try to correct it. Um, like today, I made a call today for myself personally because all this past week I've been feeling terrible. It's a good thing you got me on this podcast today after a repeat because <laughs> yesterday and the th days, this whole week was really rough because I, I, I had lowered down food because I can't really do too much cardio because of the little injuries I'm dealing with. So I'm like, yeah. okay, I'll lower food down and keep that fat loss going. Successful in getting the fat loss off, but I was like feeling so run down. 
I look very flat and mentally I'm just like not I wasn't in a good place I was like yeah. I look terrible I don't you know I need to this is bad so like yesterday I was like okay I'm gonna auto regulate this refeed I usually take refeed Saturday Sunday so the first refeed I take I took a very big refeed yeah and, and today I look better yeah the scale is up but I look better and I'm more energetic yeah. And I know it's going to set this coming week up a lot better. Like yeah. it'll be a more efficient, more productive week of training, um, and it's, you know, just feeling overall much better. So, so that's a it's a hard call to make because in in one and one side of the sword, you're like, oh man, I got great weight loss this week. The scale was looking really nice. Um, yeah. You know, should I just keep digging or do I fill up again and then dig again? So. Um, like some people make the wrong call. They're like, okay, in that instance, I just keep digging and yeah. could put themselves in a further hole. Yeah. So. For sure. I don't know if that answered your no, question. No, it does. I know it does. It was very broad, but yeah. It was a very broad question, and I, I just wanted to hear, you know, your internal dialogue when you are making those calls and the, the factors and variables that you look to consider, you know, in the totality of do I go left or do I go right? That that was, yeah, yeah. that was a very good response. And you spoke cool. there about the first thing that you look to um, when making a call is has the athlete adhered? And I feel that even in the context of bodybuilding, you know, a lot of the discussions that, you know, people have with, you know, other bodybuilders and coaches and even on this podcast and the other podcasts is they really focus on the nuances of, you know, refeeds and reverse dieting and all these you know, I guess, scientific ways to optimize, you know, training and nutrition. However, yeah. in my experience, both as an athlete and working with people, adherence is such an issue, especially mm -hmm. when it comes to diet for bodybuilders, because it's fucking tough. It is really hard yeah. to adhere. Um, excuse the profanities. I hope you can. No, no, I, I like the, the honesty. <laughs> and... Have you ever cheated on your diet and how frequently do you deal with this with your athletes and then overcome it? Because that's the key. You there, Jeff? Can you repeat that again? Because you kind of froze up. Okay. Yeah, so here. Can you repeat that? Have you ever cheated on your diet and how frequently oh, do yeah. you deal with this with your athletes and then how do you overcome that? That's a uh, that's very common. Yeah. It's it's pretty rare that you would get an athlete that is like on money through the entire prep. Yeah. It happens. You know, you have you know you have some people that can really adhere and they they go through a whole entire prep and not one cheat, not one binge, no nothing. Um, I think out of my whole career, I've had maybe one or two preps where it was perfect, like yeah, flawless right. in that yeah. regards. Um, even my last season in 2014, I had some mishaps. Yeah. Um, and I think a lot often, especially in more in, inexperienced competitors, it's like, that is like a fail. Like yeah. they view that as a fail. There's a lot of guilt. Yeah. yeah. Um, their first knee jerk reaction is to, okay, let's double up cardio or let's slash calories way down and clean it up. Yeah. And then, you know, probably more than half the time because of that, you know, two or three days later, it, yeah, there's another been. cycle yeah. because they're. <laughs> So depleted again. Yeah. So not just physically, but mentally, yeah. they're just like, oh shit, in the wind, in the tanker again. Yeah. So the first thing is to realize and understand is that, you know, if we if we take it back to the caveman days, if you starve your, if you're starving, and you find a food to eat, you're gonna eat all of it. You're gonna just gonna <laughs> devour it because yeah. you don't want to die. Yeah. So it's 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 kind of a normal thing, but it's not viewed normal because. We have this goal of you know getting down to five or six percent body fat or whatever it is. Yeah. This extreme state and really that's not a normal state to be in. Um, again, the body doesn't doesn't know that you're you're going to be competing on the bodybuilding stage. It just knows I need to survive. So those mishaps are normal. But yeah, I think that I mean obviously it could sabotage progress. Yeah. So adherence is huge. I mean it, it plays a pretty big role. Um, let's say you have the, the most scientific approaches. They're they're perfect. They're yeah. On paper, everything is perfect. But if I can't follow that, if I'm cheating on my diet every other week, it's no longer. That's not optimal. It might be 
maybe maybe my protein needs to be below what the science says, and I'm in, but I'm adhering to it. So maybe yeah, maybe progress isn't 100%. Maybe it's 95, but it sure is better than the 80% we were getting before. Yeah. yeah. So it's like you have to find something that's practical and sustainable. Yeah. Unless it's like really like outlandish, like, you know, obviously yeah. I'm only eating 50 grams of protein a day, something like that. Then yeah, you're going to have a bad, a bad, uh, end product. Yeah. But yeah, within reason, it needs to be pretty, pretty practical and, and sustainable. And that, that's going to have probably different faces on it too, as an athlete goes through a prep. Yeah. You know, there's a lot of context, you know, if you're talking like a six month, eight month, nine month prep, there's a lot of context in those stages. You know, early on, it it's, might be a little bit easier, but later on, it gets a bit tougher, so. Yeah, and you're leading into my next topic here, contest prep duration. You've done a fantastic video on that um, that I know you show your athletes, and I'll put that uh, link below, and I've watched it mm -hmm. many, many times when coaching and putting myself through a prep. Yeah. It's something that I found really, really fascinating um, was watching the comments and discussion that people were having when in 2014 you came on stage 10 pounds heavier, which is 5 kilos heavier. Everyone's like, oh, wow, how did you put on 5 kilos of muscle? Ra, 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 ra. And then I wasn't, I was thinking the same line of contention like, shit, he had a really good off season for, you know, that time between and put on some good size. But then you came out and attributed that to a better prep and a longer prep, 50 weeks, if I'm remembering correctly. And why is a longer prep more beneficial than a shorter prep, in a nutshell, for the listeners? Basically, the paces can be a lot more conservative. Yeah. Um, allows a lot more wiggle room. You, can, you have a lot more play calls that you can call. So your playbook gets much bigger. Yeah. Um, so, you know, your pace is going to be slower. So if you're losing, and I think it's proven through some, some research, I, I don't quote me on that, but I think, uh, there was, has been some research on that where, you know, losing at a much slower rate retains a lot more muscle. Yeah. Um, and just from my experience, um, personal experience, yeah, that was, that was true. Mm -hmm. It's like, cause there's no way that I put on, you know, uh, 10 pounds of muscle, you know, from should, the ages of 38 to, yeah, it was 2011 was the prep where I came in 10 pounds heavier and leaner yeah, yeah, yeah. than I did in 2009. Um, so I held on to a lot more muscle. And yeah, when I, when, when people saw those comparison pictures, like, man, you put on, how did you put on so much mass from 2009 to 2011? Like they thought that was like off season. And it's like, you know, you don't take someone who's been training, you know, what I was like, close to 30 years in 2009 or whatever it was, 25 years, something like that. Yeah. You don't go from 38 years old to 40, 41 years old and yeah. gain 10 pounds of muscle. There's no way. <laughs> so it's like, it's just like the, the way in which I took the, the body fat off yeah. was the difference. And I think often, you know, as natural bodybuilders, you know, um, you have to look at your prep as, you know, you can make pro probably really good progress in how you get there. Um, during the prep, um, and I had one one gentleman, um, maybe you've heard of him, Stephen Box, yeah. where we prepped him. Um, we prepped him this past season, but before he competed, and you know, we had that conversation like, "Do you really want to compete? It's only been you're gonna have a very short off season, so you're probably not gonna make too many strides in the off season." Um, so we just decided to prep, and the prep was more conservative, a little bit longer. Um, and yeah, he brought a better package. He was leaner, held on to more muscle. So it, yeah. I was, you know, like, well, actually he made more improvements than I thought. And yeah. it wasn't, you know, I, I would probably say that maybe just a fraction of the improvements was from the short off season, but the majority of it was through the, the dieting process. Yeah. Um, so yeah. So now it's like when we prep athletes, like there's, you know, more refeeds, um, maybe auto-regulating those, like I'll auto-regulate those with some athletes, some maybe some bigger, some smaller, depending on the context of yep. the prep, um, more diet breaks, um, things like that. So you just, in a sense, you're, you're not depriving the body. Like the shorter the prep, you know, if you only have a short timeline to get off X amount of weight, you might have to be so fast and assertive that, you know, your body is like, okay, I need more fuel. Where am I going to get that? Muscle. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then you got someone on stage who looks flat, stringy, and um, you know they don't look too happy in the face, look pretty drawn, and yeah, no energy. Yeah. So I used to, that was me back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I think every bodybuilder's uh, had that experience and then obviously if they continue to compete, they get better and better. But you spoke about your playbook and I love that analogy. I love the, the having cards to play and the slower you go, having more cards to then play and you know more chips, yeah. chips on the table. Um, you spoke about refeeds diet breaks and you know a smaller calorie deficit over a longer period of time what are some of the other cards that you are afforded with a longer prep yeah well we'll talk in playbook perfect because today's super bowl sunday here in the states so it's like if you have a 12-week prep you got to lose 10 10 kilos let's say you only have one play and that's a hail mary (laughs) You line up, it's okay. Just throw the ball as far yeah. as you can and hope that you catch it. Yeah. Whereas, you know, if you if you double up that time length, then you know, okay, maybe you could you can call, you know, some like, you know, let's say Super Bowl Sunday today, you know, okay, my one of my prep athletes, you wanna enjoy the game. Well we have time to do it. So now we can say, Okay, let's have a bigger refeed here. You can enjoy life a little bit more. Yeah. Um, you know, maybe we shave calories a couple days prior so you can afford that. Maybe um, you know, we just save all your food for, for one meal for Super Bowl Sunday so you can yeah, enjoy yeah. life a bit more. So those are the types of things that you can do. You can play use for, for your playbook. It's like, okay, you can try to make life as normal as you can with yeah. prep. It's not going to be, like, perfectly normal, but at least there's some sanity here and there. Yeah. Um, and then another thing, too, is like we talked about earlier about adherence. If you're, let's say, you mess up, then you have time to kind of – yeah. you know, get back on track, you know, with that, without, without really changing, without having to call a Hail Mary, you know, yeah. like, okay, we still have time, let's just jump back on protocols, it'll clean itself up eventually, and then maybe you lose maybe a day or two of progress, but you still have that time there, yeah. you yeah. know, on your side, so those types of things, it's pretty huge. Yeah, for sure, and with that comes a lot of, a lot of experience, you know, people who haven't done uh, bodybuilding for an extensive period of time can't make those calls. And similarly, I think a lot of, and I personally believe, a lot of people who just start bodybuilding and start fitness or looking to improve their physique um, fall into the trap of thinking that cardio is the way to do it. And then I wanted to ask you, Jeff, in terms of the approach that you take with cardio, I've noticed that you are a proponent of lists, you know, low intensity, steady state for yourself at least. Why is that? What are the differences? Mm -hmm. Not necessarily the science. Let's not talk about the science of, you know, the differences. Let's talk about the practical application of, you know, high intensity sprinting versus low intensity sprinting in a long contest prep like that. And when and why would you use either? Well, one, for me personally, I'm 45. So me like going to the park and doing sprints, I'm probably going to I'm going to hurt myself. <laughs> so that's number one for me. Yeah. Um, two, I can do, I could kill two birds with one stone riding on my recumbent bike back there, which I'll show you, is that I can, I can read. Yeah. I can learn. Yeah. So just for me, like, that's just the type of cardio one I enjoy. Like, I'm not yeah. a big fan of hit. One, other, other than just the jokes aside as far as like getting injured, but that's serious. You know, you yeah, probably yeah, have a sure. higher risk of getting injured. Yeah. And even younger people have a higher risk of getting injured if you're doing, let's say, hit versus a list or a miss. Yeah. So that's that's number one. I had one athlete where I was like, nah, I don't want you doing hit. He wanted to do sprints. I'm like, nah, it's not, man, because you can get injured. And if you get injured, then, you know, there goes your prep, you know. Yeah. So. He ends up doing it anyway, uh, and yeah, he he, he got injured. He tore his he, yeah, was his quad. He, he tore, tore his quad. Yeah, partial, yeah, partial tear his quad. That yes. was it. Preps over. Yeah. So that you know that's kind of, that's the first first rule for me. Um, hit is generally harder to to do, and it's harder to recover from. So I really don't like it to impact the weight training because the weight training is obviously the priority because that's what's gonna. You know, when you get on stage, you need muscle. That's what's going to hold on to your muscle. So I want all the energy, all the focus, you know, and I want to ensure that recovery um, is the best it can be for the weight training. 
especially in the deeper stages of prep, you know, when the recovery is probably not as good as it is when you're more well fed. So that, that's, that's like one of the main reasons why I lean towards just like more of a steady state cardio versus a hit. Not to say that I, I don't ever use hit because there's times where I will. Um, one, if an athlete is just really adamant about doing it, um, and I'm really kind of on the fence about that because of the, the guy I mentioned, but on occasion I might throw it in there one or two sessions, no more two a week. Yeah, um, yeah. If the athlete is just so adamant about doing it because they enjoy it, but um, or if I'm just really just like, okay, my playbook's getting really thin here. I've tried yeah. all the other things, nothing's really getting progress, and I might say, okay, let's throw that in there, see if we get some progress. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's just another example of people trying to be optimal as opposed to practical and thinking about what's actually going to be sustainable during a contest prep. And you spoke there about, you know, risk of injury. And I know that you're somebody who has experienced quite a lot of injuries and overcome most of them and you've just sustained a lower back injury, correct? Yeah, I strained my lower back at the end of September. Um, Did it again like a week or two ago. Yeah. (laughs) Same same side, yeah. Yeah. So it's that I've had minor injuries throughout my career like that, like little strains. Nothing major. The only major injury I had was tearing my calf in 2013. That's the only major injury where I've had that I've had. That's where I've seen like good amount of downtime because of it. Yeah, yeah. And I read your recent article on longevity, and I thought that was that was a brilliant piece that a lot of bodybuilders don't look at, and we often forget because we get so caught up in doing what we need to do now we don't think about you know the long-term ramifications of what we're doing and you spoke about timeless form and Mm -hmm. and I love that way to describe you know the technique that we need something that can be upheld for long periods of time as opposed to cool I can do this now but I may not be able to do it later I love that uh, phrasing of the term but how do we balance this as a bodybuilder with working hard in the gym how do you balance it it's a good question. Yeah. I think like I try to instill like form as the priority because I kind of view it as like your insurance policy, you know, against injury. I love your analogy. I mean, it's great. So, I mean, like, yeah, we want to shoot for numbers and I've even been thinking of this and I don't want to give too, still the beans too much, but I'm like, okay, let me, let me write a guidebook on this. Yeah. Like how to, how to progress. But my thing is like, let's say your target is, like let's say this week's three by six and then next week's a three by five like your that's your target so you increase the load let's say next week with yeah. a three by five um my 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 rule would be like okay one you have to hit all your reps the week prior in order to increase the load but two your form needs to be a rating of this okay so i want to instill a form rating yeah in order really to cool. kind of help gauge people's parts because if you let's say you get the three by six but it was ugly like, yeah, you got it. It was ugly. And you're like, okay, I hit the numbers. I should move up. No, because you're more susceptible to injury. Yeah, your right. form is off. Yeah. So I'd rather just like keep the, keep the weight there, clean the form up, or lower the load down, clean the form up, and then progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, that's kind of my thoughts. I, I really that like that. Stuff. And you guys have a very similar rating for adherence. You have tiers, correct? You have better, best, and good. Is that what, yeah, as far, is as, that as, where far as macros. Yeah, yeah, something similar to that. Yeah, that's yeah. been in my mind. Like, I was on my cell phone uh, the other morning. It was like 4.30 in the morning. I couldn't sleep, so I'm like, I might as well be productive. So I wrote all these notes on this programming that I want to write up and make it a guidebook. Yeah, that's very cool. Yeah. That um, I think that would really help uh, improve a lot of your clients, especially technique as well as you know the lifting community. And yeah. one of the other things with longevity – Jeff is, which is why I personally believe so many bodybuilders and powerlifters alike, you know, do become dual athletes is because they get bored. Because we get bored of doing the same thing. You know, not a lot of people are great with delayed gratification, you know, like you are and it's so steadfast and committed. And people do. It's a tough sell. It's, it's a, a tough, tough sell, sell. Especially as a yeah. coach. Yeah. Yeah. And people get bored and they want change and they want variety and. Especially in this day and age when they go on social media and they see everybody doing all these different things, like, oh, I'll try that. Um, how do you prevent staleness in your own training as well as with your clients? 
I'm, I'm, I guess I'm an outlier because I don't get bored too often. <laughs> well, that's like, <laughs> like I, haven't, I haven't hit a PR since 2013. Like I hit a PR in May of 2013. It was about a month and a half before I tore my calf. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I hit the PR on the squat. I was like, yeah, it's exciting. But but since then, it's like I could care less about PR. Yeah. Because it's just my mentality has changed because through experiences and all that. Um, but, yeah, it's like for me, like I don't need to change exercises too frequently. But for other athletes, yeah, there's like the only time I'll really overhaul an entire program for somebody is if their progress is just terrible, like it's just dead in the water. Or two, they're just not enjoying what we're doing. Like I really emphasize that, you know, when I want to know when, like if I write something up for you, I want to know what's the good things. Of course, I want to hear good things, yeah. but I also want to hear what's not good or what you're not enjoying because that way I can work with you to make it more enjoyable. Because if you're, if it's more enjoyable, you're going to keep doing it. You're going to be more motivated. Your performance is going to be better because you're just more energetic about it. Yeah. Even if it's, let's say, it's not the most optimal program in the world. Yeah. But if you're loving it and you're not getting injured, then chances are you're going to do it over the and you're going to make more progress because of that. Yeah. So it comes back to the, the sustainability factor. Yeah. Like I wrote a program up the other day that was like – I couldn't even put a name to it. It was just so all over the. It was like, it was like the most unique one I've ever written. Yeah. I was on a Skype call with with the gentleman. We wrote it out, and it yeah. was just like. But he was getting excited. He's like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'm like, hey, excited. <laughs> Let's do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And can you give us an outline as to what were some of the, the things that you incorporated to keep it interesting? We basically were like, okay, let's do legs and like arms. Let's do like we. It was more of a. We went from a. There was, like I set them up initially, it was just your typical upper, lower, push, pull, legs, very basic, linear progression, really. But then when we wrote the next block, we talked about how the first block went. And, you know, he was like, I'm getting bored or whatever. So it was just like different rep ranges, different schemes, different exercises, just all yeah. just completely different. Yeah. And just, just having something different can excite people. As long as it makes it like it was still structured, like we still had structure to it. We put pro progression schemes in there. So as long as it's it's progressive and it makes sense for the most part, then why not have it be something that's more of an outlier type program compared yeah. to what you see that's hot at the moment. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. And I think that just uh, says a lot about, you know, the importance of enjoyment in all sport because if you don't enjoy the sport, you're not going to you're not going to achieve anything in that sport. And yeah. you know, on the topic of longevity because I know that this is something that you're extremely passionate about and obviously have had to overcome a lot of things to stay in the sport for such a long period of time such as injury. And in your article recently, you've mentioned that you know rest and recovery is just as important as training itself. Mm -hmm. and besides the obvious of not doing stupid things outside of the gym between sessions and eating properly, what are some other recovery strategies that you implement uh, personally and with athletes to improve that process? Just recently, like I was probably going to go in and train today. I don't train on Sundays. I usually don't train Saturdays or Sundays. Mm -hmm. Um, but the session I was supposed to do on Friday, I, I, you know, cause of the, the low food and all that this week, it took its toll. So Friday I had no energy and I actually went into the gym and this is something I've done in the past too. I went into the gym, started warming up and I did not feel right. I was like, I feel off and I'm like, Nope, let's just walk out here and I'll do it tomorrow when I have more energy. Yeah, right. I feel better. So I walked out Saturday, same thing, felt terrible. I'm like, let me take a big refeed here. And now I feel good. So today I'm like, okay, I could probably get in there and train. Yeah. yeah. So I'm going to have probably better performance. You know, I'll probably get a little bit more volume because of it. And I'm going to recover better. So let's say I trained on Friday when I was at my lowest, you know, I'm probably a little bit at higher risk for injury there. You know, so that's one. Um, maybe I, I have a terrible workout where the loads really, I had to lower loads down because I couldn't accomplish anything, couldn't get sets and reps in or whatever. So, and then I'm beat up more so after. 
because yeah. I'm already zapped. So now my zap levels to another one. It's even higher. Yeah. Yeah. So then Saturday, yesterday, I probably would have felt even worse. So it just would have just delayed, you know, just further probably put me into the ground, into yeah. a hole. So, so now I feel pretty good. Today's a refeed too, so I'll train. And then tomorrow I should feel okay, you know, in not, theory. Not we'll great. See. Okay. But yeah, in theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so that's those are that's that's some of the things I think like younger athletes have a harder time doing because they fear that okay if I don't train when I'm supposed to train today's Friday it's a leg day I'm supposed to train legs on Friday and if I don't <laughs> the world comes to a crashing yeah, end yeah. and I'm gonna lose a half inch on my legs no you're you're for the reasons I just mentioned it's okay if you really need a day off to to, yeah. to deviate from the the spreadsheet game plan and, you know, go in on Saturday and train after a little bit more rest. You're going to have better performance, better recovery, yeah. um, and more likely to progress and you're, you're minimizing the risk for injury. Yeah. So yeah, auto regulating training being an extremely big game changer for you in terms of recovery practices from the start oh, of yeah. your it's, contest career. Yeah. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. I mean, there's every, like, I know how to decipher too between feeling shitty like I was or just like being a baby about it. Like, kind of like <laughs> training, like, you know, yeah. I know how to decipher, okay, I'm not going to be a pussy here. I'm going to get in there and get after it. Yeah. Um, that was my next, so, that was a, my next question. Yeah, there's a difference there. <laughs> yeah. That yeah. was my next question. So when I, when I say like, okay, you need to use timeless form it, and, and, you know, you know, make sure you don't push yourself, like don't go to failure all the time. It's not like, I'm telling people train soft, be yeah. soft, be smart. Yeah. Like you could, you could work hard, but be smart about it. Yeah, and that feeds into my next question perfectly, Jeff. When we give people autonomy over their training, like you know, the coaches at 3DMJ do with auto regulating and you know all this kind of stuff, how do you make sure that your athletes stay within the confines of what they need to do to progress without deviating too far into doing what they feel like doing because obviously our homeostatic drive is going to want us to lie in bed and eat a shit ton of food. How do you put checks and balances in place to keep them progressing when we talk about auto-regulating diet and training? Yeah, that's when you put your, your coaching hat on sometimes. Yeah, You're sure. like, okay, this is where I need to – Okay, like again, it comes to the context, whatever context of that certain time frame or whatever the goal is, or yeah. like if there's someone who like if it's hard, it's a deep again deep end of the prep, food's low or whatever. You're trying to get that last little bit of body fat off. Yeah, it's gonna be hard. Yeah. And if you have an athlete's not not adhering or they're crying about it or whatever, it's like, dude. It's yeah, it's hard. You're gonna have to grind through this. It's yeah. if you want your goal, guess what? You got to work for it. It's, um, but there might be other points where it's like, okay, I don't want this person to get hurt. It's probably not a good time to kill this person this week. Let's back it off, yeah. and yeah. in that way, next week we might be able to squeeze out more progress because of the rest or whatever. So it's yeah. just there's context, but yeah, if and as you you know, learn the athletes as you keep coaching them, you start knowing when, you know, what you can and can't do as far as like how yeah. far you can push somebody. Yeah. Context is super important, isn't it? It's, it's huge. Yeah. And I think today in today's social media too, a lot of context, you just can't get all the context yeah. of someone's post or whatever. Yeah. So I think a lot of time, that's why uh, for me personally, I, I, I don't, get into too many like Facebook discussions or anything anymore. It's just, it's really hard because there's always like a black or white and yeah. it's like, no, it's, there's the sport is not black or white. Yeah. And something that obviously becomes more important for advanced lifters is weak point training because as we, you know, improve our physique, there's areas that begin to lag and some, some muscle groups just respond better than others. Sure. How do you, incorporate weak point training and how do you prioritize weak point training in program design? What are some of the considerations you have? In general, I in general. basic, yeah, I like this. Okay. What is the actual weak point? What are their strong points? Yeah. 
Um, the strong points might say, okay, let's let's tone the volume down there so you can throw more volume at the weak point. That way, it's not really impacting overall recovery too much. Yeah. Um, so it could be okay. Maybe it's a little bit more volume on the training session for that body part. Could be more more days for that body part. Could yeah. be a little of both. I mean, there's so many different ways you're doing it. But in general, like just really general, it's yeah, throw more volume at that body part and tone other areas down. And the strong so it doesn't yeah. impact impact the, the recovery too much. Yeah. And I think you know, I've been getting this lately with a lot of like younger athletes they they want to prioritize like oh my arms are smaller weak let's let's prioritize that I'm like well let's <laughs> let's go with a balance attack yeah um because you know you really don't have too much time under your belt in the gym yeah yeah um, worry about the weak points later so uh, often you know sometimes weak body parts can get corrected just through better form yeah for sure you know, like back like people back training often that's can get neglected one. because that's usually the one body part that people don't know how to train properly in the yeah. early stages i was guilty of it for a long time yeah me too <laughs> uh, but once i just corrected once i started correcting my form i'm like oh it's just starting to make improvements yeah yeah so often it's not always about volume and frequency it's like let's get the basic fundamentals down first that like become a better thing. become a better lifter yeah yeah. And even like the science, like don't look at science so much. Look at what you're doing in the gym, the basics, the fundamentals, yeah. learn how to lift. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. That's, yeah, that's been my favorite answer to all these questions. I love that answer. Cool. <laughs> um, intuitive eating. It's a hot topic of discussion at the moment. You guys did a brilliant podcast on it not long ago. And what I want to ask you about intuitive eating is can you truly be an intuitive eater? After thirty years of bodybuilding, do you find it hard? To You're just, just asking about me personally, you or personally, just in general. You personally, I know myself pretty well. Um, so usually, when I'm like, as far as like keeping my body fat levels in check, you're kind of like in that context. Yeah. I have to be. I have to have some type of structure and accountability. Because yeah. if I don't. Then I get two hundred. I get two hundred and five pounds in the off season. I get heavy again, <laughs> yeah. because I'm like, okay, I'm tired of like being accountable. I want to enjoy this cake. I want to enjoy these Doritos. I want to watch the Super Bowl and not have to stress on my macros. Yeah. And before you know it, I'm gaining weight. Yeah. So I could, yeah, I could in my mind if I wanted to be intuitive, I'd say, okay, yeah, don't eat so much. But then again, that's having accountability. Yeah. And yeah. structure. Yeah. So that's for me personally. It's like whenever I let myself, my structure and accountability go, then that's when I start gaining the weight. And when I, I'm on more on top of things and I'm more structured, okay, maybe I'm putting my food on the scale a little bit more frequently, then I keep things more in check. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's a struggle that I've had over the years in the offseason is trying to find a normal spot to be in. Like it's, it's, it's pretty tough. Like usually what ends up happening is just – Mentally, I get burned out and like stress. When my stress gets a bit high, I'm like one of those people who likes to eat, like for comfort. Yeah. So if I'm yeah. not really aware of that, then I can easily like gain a lot, some pretty good weight. Yeah. So I'm still trying to figure out what my normal is, and yeah. I would say over the years looking at, I'm like 200 pounds is more normal than 180. Like yeah. 180 is 10 pounds over my stage weight, and I did that for about. I held that for about six months, maybe, or a year from the last uh, season I had, and it yeah. was terrible. Like, my training wasn't that great. I was food-focused. Um, you know, just overall, just was it happy in general? I liked the way I looked, but everything else was a chore. It was a stressor. So I'm like, let me just gain some weight back. Yeah. And after about three or four pounds came on, I felt so much better. My leverage in the gym improved. Training improved. I was happier, but then I got too happy and started eating more. Yeah. So I need to I need to find a fine line there. Um, I remember back in the day I would like okay let me track things Monday through Friday, and then Saturday Sunday I would just live, live life, and my body weight stayed the same. So I'd gain weight from the weekends, clean yeah. it up during yeah. the week, and I started with that. So that that time that was kind of more normal, but I think. Yeah, intuitive eating. I mean, I think experience plays a good role in that too. Like, you can't have someone who just did a contest prep for the very first time. Mm -hmm. Maybe they dropped like 
10 to 15 kilos. Now you're like, okay, go ahead and intuitive eat after your show. Yeah. <laughs> Listen to your hunger gonna, signals. Yeah, intuitive. they're going to intuitive eat that 10 to 15 kilos back in like one month. Yeah, yeah. So it, again, comes back to context, comes back to the individual, etc. Yeah. And it's interesting we talk about intuitive eating being, I guess, somewhat kind of an end point for you know, bodybuilders after their comp, you know, and once they sort of want to transition back into normal life and the off-season and so forth. And on that, reverse dieting has been something that has been extremely popular but doesn't necessarily work in practice. And the reverse diet is what 3DMJ have proposed as a substitute to that, which is just getting people back to a higher body fat at a much quicker rate to, you know, deal with all the physical, you know, ramifications that happen when we do a contest prep. But what do you guys at 3DMJ and what do you, Jeff, do with your athletes and yourself to deal with the psychological, uh, you know, post-comp blues? Yeah, that's a huge one. Mm. Usually it's like the day after a show, you're like, okay, now what? Yeah. You know, because you just went through, you had a hyper-focused goal for so long, and it's like that's all of a sudden over. Mm. So it's now what? Um, usually now for like the, the day or two after a show for me personally, that's my time to celebrate what I just did. So I'm going to really reflect back, like just envision what I went through. And I'm like, you know what? I deserve to go out and eat today and maybe maybe on you know the next day after that and yeah. then and get back to some sort of structure after that so I don't lose full accountability. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the goal is definitely to put some body weight on. And I know that's hard for, for some people to do, you know, mentally because it's like you work so hard to get your six pack and your your shredded glutes, but all of a sudden, you know, week two weeks later that's that's going away. So it's yeah. it's hard. For a lot of people to accept that and so we really try to encourage that you know what you have another show to do in a year or two um, get your focus back into the weight room yeah you know and usually usually that's a pretty good cure because when you see your performance going up in the weight room you get excited more motivated because that's generally at the tail end of prep you know you're not going to be hitting prs on deadlifts and squats and things yeah, like that so you start seeing these numbers start moving again, then you start, you know, seeing the value of okay, how powerful food and body fat is. Yeah. <laughs> you know? And again, if you're staying if you're staying extremely lean for months after your show, are you really you know, chances are you're not making huge improvements yeah. towards your next show. Yeah. So yeah, I mean and like you said, you know, I've, I've reversed that people in the past and just the the success rate on that is so low. Yeah. So yeah. low. people end up binging or whatever, and then they feel guilty about binging. Like, it, like again, like it's, it's a, a bad sapling. thing, but yeah. in the real world, it's actually what you actually need and would do if yeah. you found, like went and killed some ant, some big mammoth, and you're gonna eat the whole thing, you know? Yeah. yeah. So it's just the sport. Sometimes I think it can screw with people's head. Yeah. And what do you do to you know alleviate? and reduce the psychological torment after a competition, what are some things that you implement into your training life outside of focusing on the improvements in the gym? You know what the thing I like to do is I go on vacation. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I remember after I won two pro cards the following weekend I went to Las Vegas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Vegas, baby. So, I mean, well, it gave me something to look forward to other than the sport. You know, it's like, okay, yeah. let me go have fun and enjoy life. Yeah. You know, I just devoted months of my life to basically two days, one day. Well, one day. I don't think yeah. I was going to do the second pro card, but, you know, the one day. And so, yeah, go go live life. Go. Or if you're still in the gym, you still have to work and all that. I, what I'll do often is I'll say, okay, this is – Free week of training. Do whatever you want in there. You want to do a bro slit, have an arm day in there, do a delt day. I don't care. Go have fun, train, and get your mind away from being so regimented because you just went through months and months of that. And then the following week, let's let's okay, let's set your structure up to to make that progress again, and let's feed you and you know get you more normalized. Yeah, um, and that's going to look different for many people. Yeah, you know, for sure. Some people need more; they need to have it a little bit more loose. Other people want that, like 
They don't want that week of free training. They want to go right back into a structure. So we'll set that up. But yeah, just kind of getting their focus. First, embracing that, okay, you just successfully went to the stage. Really take the time to savor that and enjoy it. Look at the pictures, whatever, you know, just yeah. wow. And then yeah. and then start focus, slowly focusing towards the future. Yeah. Um, but definitely celebrate what you just went through. Yeah. And that, that's, it's people, you would be amazed. Like, it's like once that show's over the next morning, you're like, all right, let's, what are we going to do? What are we going to do from the training program for the next? I'm like, yeah. dude, man, take today and go eat some pancakes and enjoy what you just did. Yeah. I think that's, um, yeah, that's something a lot of bodybuilders don't do is sit back, reflect, and enjoy the satisfaction that they you know, should have from competing. They're always focusing on what's next. And my final question for you, Jeff, is obviously you strike me as somebody who thinks a hell of a lot. You are so self-aware, as I mentioned, and you're always ticking over as to you know, what's happening and reflecting on what you can do moving forward. You know, the term paralysis by analysis, how do you ensure you are getting the job done and not overthinking? It kind of goes back to that penny analogy, man, yeah. right? So if you're one rep, one penny, I mean, how can you not make progress if you're putting the work in? Yeah. Like, think about it. Let's say if it's it's the best workouts ever, yeah, that's maybe a little bit more progress than your worst workouts, but your worst workouts are better than no workouts. Yeah. And if your training program, let's say, is not the best, not optimal, but if you're still training, how can you not make some progress? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure there's some context where, yeah, you won't progress if you're doing dumb things. But in, <laughs> in general sense, if you're training, if you're doing something, it's going to go towards your muscle account. So that keeps me at ease. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and I've, I'm I'm not an yeah I think a lot, but I'm not an overthinker. Yeah. Like I I don't like I don't need to go you know read the latest research all the time you know to to think like okay I need to know all this stuff in order to progress. I just know if I put the work in, I'm going to progress. Yeah, I love that. That's kind of that kind of keeps me at bay, and that's what I kind of try to instill into my athletes. You know, and they. If they don't hit PR or something like that, like dude, it's, it's it's fine. It's not the end of the world. Yep, yep. I was really hoping that in this interview that I would get you to talk about pennies, and we did it. <laughs> pennies, man. Like, I actually made a, a I found a penny song on YouTube. I downloaded it. No I put it with my training clips. I was like, okay, this is gonna be good. I'm putting on Instagram, but the file's too big. The file's too big. <laughs> so I'm gonna have to make a YouTube video and put it up. We'll have to figure My out next Godfather it. video, I'm going to play that. Please do. Please do. Jeff Alberts, thank you very much for your time today. I really appreciate everything you do for the natural bodybuilding community with all the work that you guys at 3DMJ put in, as well as your time today. Thank you. No, you're more than welcome. It was fun. Thanks, Jeff. <laughs>